0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we just want to thank you, God, for who you are, God. And as we look at this psalm this morning, God, we're going to see that you're speaking of a physical king in David, God, but also pointing towards an eternal king in Christ Jesus. And because of that, God, as the last song we sang says, we can lean on you no matter what, God. What do I have to fear? I don't, God, and that's the amazing thing of who you are, that you take care of your children, God. Though we don't understand it at times, God, that, but you are working out the things for your will and for our glory. For your will and glory, God, and for our good at times. And we just pray that this morning, God, as we look at Psalms chapter 2, that you just teach us what it is that you have for us this morning, God. And I just pray for uh, your will to be done here, God, not my own. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you in your son's holy name. Amen. All right, um, just to give a just a quick run through of what's going on in in Psalms chapter two, and then we'll jump into the the meat of it all. Uh, is, But when we look in, when we look at Psalms chapter 2, um, it's not completely agreed upon, um, but if you read Acts 13, it appears that David is the one that is writing this. Uh, and so that makes a little bit of sense to you. This is King David. This is the one um, you would know King David at a lot of different ways. And uh, what you would know about David could be vast. You know, uh, there's good and bad things about King David, but ultimately what we're going to see in all this it's true uh, because God anointed King David to be the king, right? Because we get this picture of David as a, a young boy. He's working in his father's field, and um, they and they come looking for the king, and they go through all these, these big masculine men, and, um, and then they go through all of the brothers, and they, they, they get to the last one, and the guy looks, and he says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And... He says, "Well, I have David, but uh, and I'm paraphrasing this of course. He says, "I have David, but you really don't want David. He's just a small little boy." And then not too many years later what we see is that David goes and he goes into battle and he kills Goliath, right? You get the story of Goliath. Uh, but then you see the bad stories of David's life just like us, right? Right? We have good and bad. You see David, you know he's uh, he ends up sleeping with another man's wife, has a kid by him, and then gets her husband murdered. Uh, you see good and bad things about David in his life, but ultimately what we do know and what we can see here this morning is that he is the king that was anointed by God. Um, but in, in Psalms chapter 2, uh, what we're going to see is um, there's two contexts I want to talk about. Is the context of David? Is the context that uh, what was going on in David's life, but also the context of uh, this pointing to a different king. It's pointing to King Jesus. It's pointing. It's uh, what we would actually call prophetic. Uh, a, pointing. It's a prophetic context. Uh, But then he also, uh, when I look at these two things, when we look at what it meant to David and we look at what it points to, uh, that's fine and that's dandy. But in reality, what we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to us? How, how does this apply to our lives? How does it apply to the ones at Lighthouse Community Church this morning? And so to end with, we're going to look at that. Is how does this speak to me? How uh, does this uh, equate to my life this morning? And I feel like that should be in every scripture we look at because all of it is profitable profitable for teaching and, and, and uh, admonishing. So. This morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Psalms chapter 2, if you're there. Uh, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at the immediate context, and then we're going to look at the prophetic context. But first, the immediate context. Uh, and what we're going to see is this is 12 verses, and in this 12 verses, we're going to break it up in three sections. Uh, and in these three sections, there's three people talking. And I know this is boring, but it's all important. There's three people talking in this chapter. Uh, you got David, you got the, the leaders of the world, and then you got God that speaks. Um, and I, I'm really going to enjoy uh, breaking down what God has to say. But first, let's look at verses 1 through 3. He says, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth sets themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. All right, so first thing we see is verses 1 and 2. This is David talking, and he asks this question. He says, why do the nation rage and the people plot in vain? Why is this going on? Why are they, uh, and really what was going on is they were questioning David's uh, uh, kingdom, David's uh, ascension into king. They were, they were questioning this, and he was asking this question seriously. Why do these people rage? Why are they trying to go against what God is doing and against what God is and who God is? Why are they raising up against God? And then he goes on in, chapter, in verse 2, he says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And against the anointed one. This is what was going on: is that these leaders of the world, they were rising up and they were coming together and they were trying to overthrow God and what God was doing. Um, And later on, we're going to talk about this. But but you see this in the world today too, right? We see this happens in our context still today. Is that there's people that are trying to go against God and against what God is wanting to do in the lives of His churches and His people, uh, and, and. So we'll get to that, but this this is so important that we take note because this is what still happens today. People still try to come together and rise against God and what God is doing. And this is what they specifically say. They say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. For whatever reason, these leaders of the world, they felt like that they were being enslaved by God, that they were being bonded by God's will. Uh, and just to kind of put this in our vernacular, uh, we hear this this example a lot. But they felt like they had chains on them, right? They were they were casted into chains, and and they said they were pretty much saying, "Let's let's break these chains and let's do what we want to do." Uh, and, and in reality, this is just pride and arrogance. Because if you really understand that God is Almighty and God sits on the throne, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but that God sits on a throne and He is Almighty and in control of all things, and He is working out for the good of those who love him when you understand that to its entirety then what we can come to understand is that God knows what he's doing right God has a plan he has a purpose and and we're not bonded by what he's doing but we have faith that God is working all things out for his glory and for our good and and so this is a pride that's drilling up in them and they they come together and they they want to raise against God and this right here is such an important aspect of all of this, is that these men thought they could overthrow God, pretty much. That they could, they could take away what God was doing on this earth. And then that gets us to verses 4 through 9. Uh, and I want us to really look at verse 4. He says, I'm going to read all of, I'll just read verse 4 to begin with. He says, He who sits in the heavens laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. I, I just, I think this is funny, uh, not because God did here, but just in general, because this is what happens is these men, they, they, they rise up, they take counsel together, they think there's something, and, and it says that, what, what is God doing? It says, he who sits in heaven, he laughs. Right, uh, and, and what's so important about that is that these men, they're, they're, they're seriously thinking they can do something. That they can overthrow what God is doing uh, in the kingdom and, and raising David up. They really thought they could overthrow what God's plans were. And what what God does is he laughs. And... and And really what makes me think of this more than anything is Isaiah 66, and I'm not going to read it, but Isaiah 66, uh, when you read that scripture, there's a part in the chapter, It says, and it explains that, this is what he says, it says that the heavens is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That God is explaining that, that the heavens is his throne, but the earth is his footstool. And this isn't belittling us on earth, but this is just saying that God's not worried about it, right? You think about, when you get home from work or whatever, you, you sit down. After you do what you got to do, you sit down, you recline, you relax, uh, and, and and you rest the rest of the day, right? You If you're like me, you either put your foot up in a recliner, or you, you prop it up on the coffee table, which Sarah don't like me to do, which we don't have one now, but we used to. Uh, she never liked me to do it. I think that's why we don't have one today. Um, but you recline, right? You relax. You put your foot up. And, and this is what God is saying, is that, that, that the earth is underneath him, that he's in control of all things. There's nothing that, that that he hasn't worked out. And, and what we see is that these men, they are seriously coming after God and his kingdom on earth. And he just laughs. He's not worried about it. He, he's not concerned of what these men can do. And when I think about this, and I think about uh, in our, our context, and we'll talk, like I said, later, but... You know, when we look around us, there's people trying to overthrow God. There's people coming against His name and His kingdom and churches all around us. But the same God of this day is the same God we have today. And He wasn't worried about it then. So we can't be either because God is in control. Verse 5, Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, Ask for me. I have set my king on Zion on my hill. And I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask for me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth are your possession. You shall break them a, with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessels. All right. So verse... Uh, Five. They will speak of them in the wrath and terrify them in the fury, saying. That, that These people, they were raising against God. And what God is saying in verse 5 is that His wrath was going to come upon them. That because they thought they could overthrow God, because they thought they, could, they were bigger and better and more powerful than God is, then what he, what's going to happen is their wrath is going to come upon them. And we're going to get to that in verse 8 and 9. But then he goes on in verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on, my, on Zion, my holy hill. So God is expressing, he's talking about David here. And he says, for I have set my king. And, and on my hill in Zion. And what God is, what's so important for us to gather from this is that everything that happens in this world and, and this world itself is God's. It's not man's, it's, it's not ours, it's not what we do or, or anything of that nature. He says, for I have said my king, David, was the king that God chose and he placed him on a hill, but not on just any hill, he says, my hill. That everything that is underneath heavens and earth and in heavens and earth belongs to God. And God is working things out. God's not worried about what these men can and cannot do, for he has got a plan. And he is not worried about them. And that's the thing about God. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He can be everywhere at once. He can do all things. And so he's not worried about what these men can do against him. He says then, he says, I will tear the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make nations great. And then he goes on and he says that pretty much that they will be destroyed by the rod of David. Um, And really what this is saying is that God was going to bring punishment around them. He was going to bring his wrath and punishment. But the amazing thing about who God is, and we still see this today. We see this in Christ. We see this in redemption is that God, he says here, look, look. Because you have this pride dwelling in you, because you have come against me, my wrath is going to come before you. But, verse 10 happens. And this is just a perfect picture of who Jesus is. Verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling. Kiss the sun, lest the anger be perished in the way. For the wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That, that in verse 1 and through 3, we see that these men, they rise up against God. Verses 4 through 9, God explains that He's not worried about it. He's going to bring His wrath and His judgment and, and His destruction upon them. But in verses 10 through 12, He says, But if you repent and you turn away and you serve the Lord your God with all of who you are and, and you humble yourself and you repent and you take refuge in Him, then this judgment won't happen. See, God's judgment only happens when we don't repent, when we don't turn away from our sins, and we don't depend on who He is for salvation. It doesn't come for those that that are otherwise, but it just happens then. And so in all of this, what we see is, is that in David's context, these men were trying to take over his kingdom. But this kingdom was put in place by God Himself. So this was the kingdom that God desired. He said, I put him, my man, in my, on my heel, that, that God had a plan for all this, and these men were trying to take this away, and, but God still was gracious towards them. He offered repentance to their life in this moment. So in David's context, what we would sum it up as is that, that God has enthroned this king in the the, the nations of the earth should repent the rebellion and take refuge in Christ. And so that's what we see here is that, that God has enthroned this man and they were trying to take him, but they should repent. That God didn't cast judgment to begin with, but he offered repentance. All right. So the second thing we look at, that's the original context, that's the immediate context. The second context is the prophetic context. Now, when I use this word prophetic, sometimes it, can, it could confuse us a little bit because a lot of times when we think of prophecy, what do we think of as revelations, right? We think of what's the end time, what's coming at the end of it all. And that is an aspect of prophetic, but prophetic, really what it was, was it was speaking to something that was to come. Uh, and in Psalms chapter 2, this was way before the birth of Christ, and, and so it's prophetic in the sense that it was pointing to Christ. Uh, and I just want to point out some things in here that directly correlate to li- the life and death of Christ. Uh, what we see in verses 1 through 3 <clears throat> is that these men, they rage up, right? They, they come up together, they rage, and, and, and their desire is to overthrow uh, the kingdom that God had put in place. And when we look at that and we think about who Christ is and the life that Christ lived, this is what happens, right? That, that he came and he lived on this earth for about 30 years and then after about 30 years he started his ministry and what happens then is that, that he starts his ministry and these people's feathers started getting ruffled and, and he was taking uh, their, their control and he was taking their power away and so what they decided to do was kill him, right? That They rose up, they, they scoffed together, they, they, they took their counsel together, and that's what we see time and time again in the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They, they come together against God and they meet together in secret to, to rise against Christ, and they do, right? They rise against Him and they put Him to death. So when you really think about it, it would look like they won. It would look like they, they had defeated God. But then when we look at Psalms chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, it says that pretty much that God has, uh, sits in heaven. He's in control of all things. Uh, but then he goes on, he says in verse 7, I, would, this, I will tell a decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And I want to correlate that to John three sixteen, 16, where he says that you are my only begotten son. And this is what's happening in the life of Jesus, is that he was begotten, right? That, that he, was, he, was, uh, he was arrested and he put to death, but God still sat on the throne. And so these men and women, they thought they won, right? They thought they had defeated Christ, they thought they had crucified him, but in all reality, what happens three days later? He rises again, right? He rises victorious, and He is sitting on the hill in which God had placed Him. He is the ruler of the earth, and He will always be that. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so what we see in all of this is that it connects to Christ. It points to Christ, even to the point in verse 12. Uh, if you got, I don't know how your Bibles are going to word it, but it says, kiss the sun of sunset. It says, kiss the sun. Um, in every translation I looked at when studying this, if you look at the word son, that is S-O-N, right? All right? And then if you look at that word, it's also a capital S. All right? is, that, is that how generally all of all are? It's a capital S. And so that's not talking about like Matt and Summer, right? When they refer to their son, they don't put a capital S on that, right? That's a lowercase s because he's their son, right? But what it's talking about here is the son of God. It's talking about the, the uppercase Son, the God, the, the Son, uh, the, God, the God, the Son, right? It's talking about the Jesus Himself. It's the uppercase. He says, kiss the Son for repentance, right? It's talking about taking refuge in Christ. See, this verse is pointing to Christ. But if that's not enough, if you would, and if you don't have to, if you don't want to, but I'm going to look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 23. Through 31 so we can kind of understand what's going on here um, and back when we did uh, last summer we were doing Sunday school for a short period of time when we did it on Acts and this was one of the last lessons we did actually um, but Acts chapter 4, four verse 23 uh, uh, is this idea of the believers pray for boldness uh, but before that why are the believers praying for boldness um, because before that, what happens is John and Peter gets arrested. Uh, what happened was John and Peter and the other disciples, this is after uh, Christ has risen and he ascended back into heaven. This is the beginning of the early church. And Christ and Peter, they're going around places and they're preaching the gospel. And they're testifying of this Christ that, that not only died on the cross but rose again. And one day they go and they heal this man that was crippled. Um, and they make this man walk. And they heal him in the name of Jesus. And so the Sanhedrin, they arrest him. They arrest the two. The Sanhedrin are these religious leaders of the Jewish culture. Um, They arrest these two men. And when these two men get arrested, they go before the Sanhedrin. And it would have been that big circle area, almost like a courtroom. And they would have stood by themselves. And the rest of them would have been circled around them. And they would have asked them questions. And they ask them, you know, to whose name did you heal this man? And what power did you hear, hear with this man? And they respond by the name of Christ. And they, and when they responded this way, they actually go in and they blame the Sanhedrin for the death and resurrection of Christ. They say that that you are the ones that crucified him. So not only do they preach the gospel, but they, uh, to, for lack of better terms, but they slap the Sanhedrin in the face with the truth that they're the ones that did this. And so the Sanhedrin, they, they get pretty mad. Their, their, their pride is hurt. Um but they couldn't hold them, right? They, they had no reasons to hold these men in jail. They didn't kill nobody. They didn't hurt nobody. Um, and then actually, it says at the end of uh, verse 22, if I'm not mistaken, that this man was crippled from birth. So they didn't even lie about it. And everybody knew this. So they had no reason to arrest them, to hold them. Uh, and so they let them go. But they charge them. Before they let them go, they charge them. They say, do not speak the gospel again. Do not speak the name of Jesus And so they go back to their group. And that's where verse 23 picks up. He says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and said, By the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set to themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, And the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now the Lord look upon their threats and grant them your service to continue to speak your words with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So they get back to their group, to their friends, to the other disciples, the others that were going out and sharing the gospel. They get back to them and they tell them everything that was happening, everything that was going on. And, and, undoubtedly this caused unrest, right? That these two men, they did something right and they were arrested for it. And so they, they come together and they pray for boldness. And, and that's the simple thing. And uh, it makes sense that they did this because they were just arrested and they were threatened that if they share the gospel again, they would be arrested or killed, right? And when you look at the 12 disciples uh, outside of Judas, you look at the 11, uh, 10 out of the 11 actually died by the death of other people. Like Peter was hung on a cross upside down. James was stoned to death. And this happened, right? They, they all died in this way. And so they had to have boldness. Um, but in verse 25 and 26, they actually quote Psalms chapter 2. They say, why do the Gentiles rage?" That's just another way of saying uh, the same thing Psalms 2 said. Uh, and the people plot in evil. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. And look at how this changed here. The, the word anointed is a capital A. That the, This anointed is talking about Christ. And then they go in verse 27 and they say, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom was anointed by both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles of the people of Israel. That God, uh, that what happened is that these people, they gathered there together, they rose up, and they were coming against Christ. And he was the anointed one of, Christ, of God. And he was the one that it's, Psalms chapter 2, it talks about David, but it points to Jesus. And But even what we see in verse 28, it says to whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Uh, and really what this, a lot of people don't like that one word there, but uh, really what's going on in this is that they're saying that God had planned the death of Christ to unfold like it did. And that's what we see in Ephesians chapter 1, is that God had predestined Christ from the beginning of the world to be the sacrifice for man. That God would send His Son into the world to die for those that would need salvation, which is all men and all women. And so what we see in Psalms chapter 2 is it talks about this this Uh, physical King David, but it also talks about an eternal king, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end, uh, the I am. He, he, He refers to himself in a lot of different ways, and he's talking about Jesus. He's pointing to Christ. So, What does this mean, though? If we see it in David's time and we see what's going on and we see what it points to, what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing that I thought of, the first thing that comes to my mind is the first thing that it means no matter what's going on is that we have salvation through Christ. Is that the men sought to destroy Christ and to to, um, kill him and to destroy him. And they did one of them, right? They killed Him, but they did not destroy Him. Because three days later, by the power of God, He rose again, and He is the Lord of Lords, the one that sits on the throne beside God the Father. That they, they tried to destroy, but they could not. They tried to, dis- to kill Him, and they did, but He reigned victorious over death. This is the God that offers salvation to us, that because of the Son, because the Anointed One, the Begotten One, we have salvation. Second, thing that makes sense and second thing that it means to us is the fact that what we see in verses one through three is that these men and women they were coming together and they were raising against God. They were coming against God um, and we see that, right? You look on the news, you, um, if you don't trust the news, you look at other areas, whatever the case may be, but you see this, right? You see uh, Christians being beheaded, for the sake of Christ you see the church being persecuted all over the world you see uh, religion you see Christianity losing religious freedoms you see all of these issues that's going on in the world that 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 calls us fear at times that when we uh, and it's gotten better over the last little bit but it it may not be forever right we know that because we know that this world's progressively going to get worse and that's just what we see in the scripture is that God one day will come back for his people But before then it's going to get better before it's going get worse before it gets better. And so what we see is that these people are still coming after God, still trying to destroy and overturn what He is doing. It still happens today. So this is perfectly connected to our lives and it may not be the case here. In Vernon, Alabama, in small town Alabama, in the south, in the Bible Belt, however you want to word that, it, we, we don't see it as much, right? We don't see persecution. We, we may see it in the forms of we get made fun of or we, we get looked at fun if we go to church or if we invite somebody, they may question us or call us out on something we've done wrong in our life. We see that area things, but we don't see persecution. We don't see the death and all of this that's going on, but it's there. And these people are part of God's church just like we were we are. And so we see that this is still going on today. And so what does that mean to us though is that because it's still going on today the most amazing fact of it all is that verse five, uh, 4 through 9 is still existing. It says, He who sits in the heavens laugh, that God our Father still sits on the throne. And just, so, just in case you didn't know this, God will always sit on the throne. God will always be the one that is on the throne, in control, and doing the will that he has set forth to do. God is in control, and what that means for us today is that we have a peace in difficult times. We have a peace in persecution. We have a peace when we share the gospel. We have a peace that no matter what we go through in this life, no matter the persecution that comes or the bad looks or everything that, that goes on in our life that is a f- directly affected with persecution, no matter when all of that happens, our God, our Father, still sits on the throne. And He's not worried about these people. He's not worried about these people that are going against God in the United States or all over the world. He's not worried about it because God is doing something that we just don't see yet. And the third thing we see, and this is the big one that I want us to take from it, is that because God is working all of these out, we should be just like the disciples and pray for boldness. We should pray for boldness when we share the gospel. We should have boldness in doing what God has called us to do as a church. We, we should have boldness when we step out of the church doors and we do stuff as a church to reach the community. We should have boldness when you go to work and you share the gospel with that person or you live right or you do what is right. You should have boldness that God is doing something in it and through it. But ultimately what we see in all of this is that men and women are going to stand up against God They're going to fall, judgment will come, but God still offers repentance to all. And because of this, our job is to have boldness when we share the gospel. Think about this and all in. Think about the way you lived before you come to Christ. Some of us were children, some of us were adults. But think about that, but think about how many times you heard the gospel before you accepted it. For many of us, it was a bunch of times, right? Times we can't count. For many of us, it may have been the first. I don't know. But what we do see is that people come to Christ in the most unique ways. After they, they, were, they could have been the one that persecuted the believers, and they still come to Christ. Uh, I think about Paul, and I know this is a, a simple analogy of it. But Paul, he killed Christians, right? He, he beheaded them. He, he was the one that started the charge for Stephen to be stoned to death, the first martyr that we see of the New Testament. And so Paul, one day, what happens? He gets saved. He comes to the knowledge of who Christ is. Christ revealed himself. And he, he follows him. See, our job is to have boldness. And when I think of the story of Paul, I think about Ananias. This is the boldness we should have. Ananias was that guy that you may not even know his name, but it was that guy that Paul went and saw after that he saw this conversion. He was blinded, and God revealed himself, and he says, Look, I'm, I'm, sending, you, I'm sending Paul your way, and I want you to pray for him, and I want you, you to take him in your house, and I want you to take care of him. And Ananias' response was just like ours. It may not be Ananias. I I've said that so many times. But anyway, his response would be just like ours. You're talking about Saul, the persecutor, the one that, that kills Christians? You're talking about that guy? I'm supposed to let him into my house? But at the end of it all, he had boldness. And if you read the Scriptures, you see that all of this would have happened after they've already prayed for boldness. And when you read this story in Acts chapter 4, it says that the Holy Spirit brought them boldness, and they, they had boldness. This morning, what we see in all of this is that God is still on the throne. God is in control of this world. When those that stand up against Him and go against Him and persecute and try to take the religious freedoms, God is still working it out because He is in control, and we should have boldness. I pray this morning we have boldness in Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. We thank You for this day, and we thank You for all that You are, God. And I just pray right now as we looked at Psalms chapter 2, and we looked at Isaiah 66, and we looked at Acts chapter 4, God. I pray that we understand that no matter the persecution, the hard times, the, the, the issues that's coming, God, the, the people that stand up against you in our nation and in our world, God, no matter, that, no matter all of that, you are still on the throne. And God, that, that you're to the point of not worried about it, that Psalms chapter 2 says that you laugh at the face of it all. God, you're not worried about it. You're in control. You're omnipotent and omnipresent, God. You're all-powerful, all-sovereign, God, and we trust you in that. And I just pray that that causes something in us, God, that one, if we don't know you, we come to know you too. If we do know you, God, that we have boldness in you, that you're going to work out all things for the good of those who love you. In your Son's holy name, amen.